This week is part number two on a series labeled Coveting or Contentment. Now, let me make something very clear to all of you, is that uh, this wasn't going to be a series, but it became a series when all of a sudden uh, I made it through point number one last week. So I just figured we wouldn't exhaust our energies in regard to that. But I got to tell you something. I don't know where this message is going this morning, and I have to give you a kind of a uh, introduction to this because the Lord spoke to me this morning out of a passage, and I am going to keep with coveting or contentment, but I want to follow the Lord's desire for all of us this morning. I don't know where you're at, and I don't know what you're going through, but I do want you to know this. God loves you. I don't know what your hang-ups are, your hurts, or your habits But God loves you. I don't know what you've been coveting. I don't know what you've been hoarding. But God loves you. I don't know if you're uncontented in some way. Or you feel a sense of uh, where I'm just lost. But God loves you. You know, when I think of coveting or contentment, man, how many times have we walked away from people and said, man, they just, there's no sense of contentment. They're not at peace. They don't love God. What's happened to them? Why has the enemy got such a stronghold on their life? Why is it that, you know, their focus has changed? Because I truly believe that when when Moses was setting up the tablet and he looked at the Ten Commandments and he said, Thou shalt not have any other gods before you. Thou shalt not lie. And he's going down through idols and everything else. And then he starts talking about coveting. He knew that everything that we put our eyes on on this earth would take our eyes away from the eternal Peace, contentment, and truth that God really wants for all of us. Now, if, if I were to, to back up the train just a little bit last week, we said many of us have coveted our seats here in the church. So I had you get up and we moved around in the congregation. Threw everybody off and it was fun and it was exciting. And, I, and then, then I lost place of who I was actually preaching to because you all threw me off. Because you're so used, because we're creatures of habit. You know, it's very, it's very interesting to me because... Being in the ministry now for, how old am I? Oh, goodness, 30 years. Yeah, almost 30. I've watched people covet. I've watched people covet things in the church. I've watched people think that material gain is so important. You know why I love our new sanctuary? Because it's different. Because this is just a building. Because it doesn't stand for anything else but a building. It's when the people come together that we get to sing 10,000 reasons, that we get to usher the Holy Spirit into a place, that we get the great opportunity to say that you are God and you are God alone. And we get to sing great songs and we get to come together as a body of believers. But it amazes me how many people have lusted. And there's actually the Hebrew word and the Greek word for covet, the word lust. So we've lusted after certain things. Amazing to me. Man, I made, the, I made the reference last week on going to get a car. We can lust after a car because we want all the bells and whistles because we're not content with the vehicle that God has given us. Now, I understand if you're putting thousand after thousands after thousands after thousands after thousands into your vehicle, it's probably time to trade that car in. Get yourself a new vehicle. Keep the economy going, Right. But I realize that even in the church and with Christians, we have coveted so much. It's so sad. Let's just put everything aside and let's just focus on our relationship with Jesus Christ. 
remember back when I was an associate pastor, I was over in Norton. And I remember I, it was really bizarre because we had Sunday night service and they said we're going to have a business meeting after the service and um, we're going to hold it in the sanctuary, which if most of you know, I've never held a, a business meeting in a sanctuary. That's awkward, strange, and this is a place where we come to worship. We don't need to have distractions on what took place when chairs started flying and people started spitting and acting crazy. You know, we're a bunch of crazy people to begin with, but we don't need to be that crazy, right? So anyhow, I said, I'll never forget. This man stood up because they wanted to kind of change the worship service. And this was a time when, remember the days when all you had was that piano and your organ in the church. So you had the piano, you had the organ, and that was it. Anything other than that, you've just lost your way and you're going to hell. That was a little bit of a joke, but some people really believe that. Some still believe today that we should sing without any instruments at all. I've been at churches. I've been a part of churches where they said we don't even want you to use a backup tape because Satan can use the sound system and so on and so forth. And we don't want to get distracted by all that nonsense. But I'm like, where does that come up in Scripture? Because back in the day, it says, you know, grab whatever instruments you have. God designed them. He created them. Let's just rejoice in them. Amen. You know, so if it's God, if it's used for God's glory, then it's good. Then we're not coveting a drum set. We're not coveting a piano. We're not coveting a bass guitar. We're not coveting an electric guitar. But what ends up happening is we do not understand the importance of overall worship. Overall contentment. We have to make sure that things go our way. See, I find that self-centered people covet a lot. Because they're coveting their way. Watch. So we're in the sanctuary, and the man says, all of a sudden he stands up and he says, you know what, I would like to you know, bring to order this meeting, XYZ, ABC, and who will second, third, fourth, give me 22, give me, and then I thought it was an auction going on. So anyhow, after they got done with all that stuff, then they, they broke into, we come to session. Let me keep it. We come to session this evening. Over the church, Piana. There was dead silence. Until the group of petitioners that were over here decided to start hackling and cackling and saying what they. May I please speak? Back in the day in 1945, that Piana was bought from, from my Aunt Edith. And Edith died in 48. And every time I see that piana in this church, it reminds me of Aunt Edith. I thought for just a minute. Then I thought, so Aunt Edith's been gone and we're having a meeting over the piana. Then the pastor comes up very dignified and says, I know you loved and respected Aunt Edith, but Aunt Edith is no longer with us. She's in the presence of Almighty God. And if she were here, she would probably want us to come up to date with praise and worship because they're probably rocking out heaven right now. Poor Brother Jim. That didn't go over well. For the next 35 minutes, it broke out. <gasps> Moving that piano. That piano is not moving that platform. Who gave the permission for that piano? Oh, I'm 
sorry. Who gave permission for that pian to leave this platform? I'm sorry, Josie. She's so much like so many of the, in the congregation. <laughs> yeah. That's Oh, I'm just now getting wound up this morning. So anyhow, Lord bless me. So anyhow, and they start crying. Next thing you know, hankies are flying and, and Mildred is comforting Connie and Connie's comforting Shirley and Shirley's comforting this person. And before long, I thought, what in the world? This is all over a piana, which they weren't even pronouncing correctly. We are coveting over a piano. Let me move my mic just a little bit. Maybe that'll help. And so what I think we've done is we've lost our purpose. You see, our purpose should be the kingdom of heaven. You see, when Jesus was preaching, he preached such is the kingdom of heaven. And all that nonsense going on, all that crying, listen, it gave me great pleasure to take this congregation. And I'm going to tell you right now, I'm just so grateful for the people of this church that within, I think it was 12 weeks, raised all the money to have this done. You know what that was? That was a movement of the Holy Spirit. That was a movement of the Holy Spirit saying, all right, it's time to do something different. We realize that we're in a culture where we need to reach people. We need to love people. We need to, we need to bring the presence of God into, into their place. And, and, and not only that, I know for myself, it makes it a lot easier you know, and more relevant when we come together. But see, I want contentment. I don't want you to be so contented that all of a sudden you fall asleep during my message. That's why we turn on the air conditioning to keep all of you awake. And so, and keep me preaching longer, right? I love what it says. And if you will, please turn in your Bible to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. And I'm going to take you probably on a little journey this morning. But I love what it says in Exodus chapter 20. And here the words are being spoken on the Ten Commandments. Yes, this is Old Testament law. We understand that we are now New Testament believers. We live because we're content in Christ because we know him as Lord and Savior. That's why we come together. So we're under grace, no longer under the law. But when we understand that the scripture says in Exodus chapter 20, it says, and we need to remember that's capital G. And God, and God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God, which has brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, out of the house of slavery. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Now, Isn't that amazing? Right there it says this. Do not have any other images that you worship. Are we clear? Are we together on this? Because it says right here, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in heaven and earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord our God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third, fourth generation of them that hate me. Let me just stop right there. Coveting 
becomes a place where all of a sudden it starts to filter down through other generations. Now, I'm going to go back right there. We're going to take a little advertisement, and I'm going to look back at the Piana. I love that back in 1940s that Aunt Edith passed away and that Piana was in memory of her. But isn't it funny that now the second and third generation says you're not moving that Piana because it has some important emotional significance to me. Let's not make the Piana the graven image. Let's not make anything that happens to be in the church or in your life a graven image. Because remember, earth and heaven shall pass away, but my, my words will last forever. His promises will be here. We are looking at worshiping the Lord and everything that we do is for the kingdoms or the kingdom of heaven. They already say the kingdom's sake. So we have no other graven image before us. And so then we continue to keep reading and it says, don't bow down. Or visit it because it will continue down through generations. Verse 6. And showing mercy unto the thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Six days thou shalt labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work. Thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor strangers that is within the gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor your father and your mother, and your days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal. And thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is your neighbor's. When we realize, and and I'll just kind of give you a, a quick summary here, we don't need to covet people's homes, the things that they have. Men, be content with who you have. God gave you your wife. Enjoy what you have. Pray over her. Anoint her. Bless her. And enjoy your journey together. Don't covet anything else. Or your manservant. Or his maidservant. Or his ox. Or his ass. Don't, don't, we don't have slaves now. We don't even have servants in the house. Uh, last time I checked, my salary don't you know, permit for me to have uh, a maid or a butler in the house. So at this time, we do not have any maids or butlers. And so, but however, I'm not going to covet the queen's maids or but, butlers either. Am I making this simple for some of you? Okay, and then um, and when it says nor his ox, nor his ass or his donkey, that meant that they were they made, you know, everything came from the land. So what they're saying is don't covet somebody else's tractor, because back then that's what they were actually looking at, nor anything that is your neighbor's. You know, when I look at this, I'm I'm reminded even in my own life of. You know, journey this this earthly life and saying, man, I wish I had what they had. I wish I had what they had. We've all been there and we've all said it and we've all heard it and, you know, we've experienced it. I wish my life was like that. Well, today you're new in Christ. And today you can walk in the newness of Christ. And if you're his child, then you start coveting after him. Because he says, have no other graven Images. So last week we looked on the onslaught of covetousness. 
the outcome of covetousness and overcoming covetousness. Did that help, Mrs. Tackett? Thank you. All right. And then last week, so we realized where does it come from? You know, it says, take heed and beware of covetousness for a man's life uh, consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. Be very careful, always saying, this is what I want. This is what I'm going to get. I want abundance. I need, I need, I want, can I have? Be very, very careful of that. And then um, we also looked in Luke chapter 12, verse 20. And in Luke, Luke chapter 12, Jesus then told of the rich man who talked about his crops, his barns, his goods. And then he said, I'm storing all this up. And he says, why are you storing everything up? Your life is but a vapor. It doesn't matter. All the things that you have, all the wealth that you have, that doesn't matter. What it matters more than anything is that your relationship with me and with the Father is number one priority. And then we look at number two, the outcome of covetousness. Where does it lead? And we have to be very careful of where it leads. And so today what I'm, I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of give a comparison, but I just don't feel like the Lord's leading me to the scripture. So we're going to go right there. And uh, I want to turn, if you would, please, to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. And when we look at point number two of where does it lead, we have to be careful of how we covet. There was once a story, as you're turning there, about a young man, Michael Thomas, who le- he left home for school. He couldn't have been prouder. On his feet, thanks to his mother's hard work, were a pair of brunt, wonderful Air Jordans. $200 worth of leather, rubber, and status that today's youth are the Mercedes-Benz of athletic footwear. The next day, it was James David Martin. He was 17 years of age, who was strolling down the street in Thomas's new sneakers. While Thomas lay dead in a field not far from his school, Martin was arrested for murder. For the Baltimore school system, Thomas' death was the last straw. He was the third youngster to have been killed over his clothes in five years. Scores of others had been robbed of name brand sneakers, designer jogging suits, leather jackets, jewelry, and etc., But today's youngsters from New York's poverty-ridden South Bronx to Beverly Hills have become clothes fixated. They worry over them. They compete over them. They neglect school over them and sometimes even, even rob and kill over clothing. The obsession with clothing say that we, those who study it, is fueled by the visual media and advertising. It's nurtured by overindulged parents and is reinforced by youthful peer pressure and the child's overriding desire to fit in. But the Bible says you cannot serve two gods, for either you will hate the one and love the other. You cannot serve two masters, for either you will hate the one and love the other. You cannot serve God and money. Coveting is not just something that happens to the poor. Coveting is a problem for all human beings. Isn't it amazing? I mean, how profound to think that we're talking about a subject of coveting, of I need, I want, we greet after. I mean, we, we look and, and we just desire, and sometimes it does become, and this is a true story, a, a moment, a pivotal moment of life or death. Do you know that coveting has ruined relationships? 
I don't know why Pastor has that friend. I don't know why Becky has that friend. They don't deserve to have friends. They shouldn't have friendships. But you can have all the friends you want. I had a man once tell me this. I was driving in his truck. It was about six years ago. And as we're driving down the road, he looks at me and, and a very influential individual. And he says to me, and as we were driving, I looked over and I go, man, that is a beautiful Escalade. That's a beautiful Cadillac. As he's sitting in his truck, he turns to me and he says, and you will never drive a Cadillac Escalade. What are you talking about, Willis? Did you just tell me that I couldn't have what God provides for me? Well, hold on. Time out. Who gave you the right to tell me anything? Wait a minute. What just took place? What was just taking place in this truck? I didn't say I was coveting that Escalade, nor did I ask this guy to, to give me his opinion on, you will never drive one. But this was the same guy that says, well, before we came to your church, we found your house. And we made a determining factor that if the pastor lives in a little shack, we don't go there. But if he lives in a beautiful home, we go there. What in the world is happening with people today? I'm quoting that is exact quote. Well, guess what? I've learned this. I've been preaching for a lot of years. And I'm not going to let anybody or anything that puts graven images before them to dictate to me. Do I hear an amen up in there? And the last time I checked, every time you get a new car, I rejoice with you. Every time you move into your new house, I rejoice with you. Every time you walk in and you look pretty on that Easter Sunday morning and you get that pretty dress, I always say, you look beautiful or you look handsome. And so all those different things. Guys, if you have that sharp, sharp tie on, that's right. You do look great. That nice shirt, that nice jacket. But why is it that we have a way of always saying we have a sense of entitlement? Let's just love one another. Is it because you're not content? Mm-hmm. Is it because that you just keep making other things and other people your focus instead of the one that loves you? And that's Jesus Christ who cares for you. And he becomes our sole focus in our Christian walk. Oh, God, how my heart breaks. We have empty chairs in this building. For some have coveted. Some have lost their way. They said, Christ and the relationship with Christ isn't important to me. I'm leaving. I was just at the Randolph Fair and ran into people. I said, where have you been? Oh, we don't go anywhere anymore. You don't? You don't serve the Lord? That breaks my heart. Yeah, we've too many things are important to us now. You know, our daughter, she's in the, the traveling volleyball team and and we have to be here and we have to be there. And, you know, it's just we just don't have time for God anymore. No wonder he told the children of Israel, those that wandered around for 40 years trying to find a promised land. He said to them, oh, please have no graven images before you. Please don't put things and material wealth before you. Please be very careful what you covet. Please be very careful what you do. You can cut that. And, and, and in reality, I'll tell you this this morning. My heart does break. Because I think we've got to a place where we have forgotten what our role and responsibility is. <sighs> I'm just going to sit down for just a minute. Because I'm tired. It's messages like this that wear me out. 
because our life is so busy that we have forgotten who Jesus is. Why can't, why can't we remember who he is? Why can't we remember who Christ is? Look what it says here. And I love what, how he just opens up the scripture. And God, just bless me as I, I speak this and share my heart this morning in regard to coveting. Here's a story that Jesus shared. And, and I found it so profound this morning. And it almost breaks my heart because I find in my own life that I see this even with leadership in this church. I see it within marriages. I see it with God's on the back burner. Why have we forgotten who he is? Why has everything else become a priority? You won't miss nothing. You won't. You won't miss a stinking thing when it comes to fun and entertainment. But we can't come together to church when he says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Man, sorry, Jesus, you don't offer much for me. I'm not coming today. Because I have so much to covet. I have so much that, that I need. So gimme, 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 gimme. That's all I want. Reminds me of a little baby. You know? Watch this story. And watch what Jesus says. He doesn't say it in one of the Gospels. He says it in all of the Gospels. Let's follow very closely what God has to say. And behold. One came and said unto him, Good master. And I love... When, when I look at the scriptures, because every time you hear the word master, they're looking at Jesus Christ as teacher. And uh, it's Matthew chapter 19, sorry, verse 16. Did I say 20? Matthew nineteen sixteen. What good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou will, enter into life by keeping the commandments. Okay. He said unto him, which, Jesus said, Oh, thou shalt not do no murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother, and thou shalt live Love thy, thou, unto thy father and the mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The young man said unto him, All these things that I have kept from my youth, what lack I yet? Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Mm-hmm. Verse 23, then said Jesus unto his disciples, verily I say unto you that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, who then can be saved? But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, with men, this is impossible, but you see with God. All things are possible. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. 
And every one that hath forsaken houses, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold, and shall inherit everlasting life. But many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. I want you, if you would, please, let's turn over to Mark. Mark chapter 10. And I want to read this for you again, and I'll give my thoughts, and then we'll close. Remember, this preacher gives three closes. That was the first. Okay, verse 17. And when he was gone forth into the way, out of Mark chapter 10, verse 17, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, hey teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why call thou me good? There's none good but one, that is God. Now knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and thy mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. And Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven, and come and take up my cross, or take up the cross and follow me. And he was sad at that saying and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around about and said to his disciples, How hardly shall they have riches? How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? The disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and said unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure, saying amongst themselves, who then can be saved? Jesus, looking upon them, said, with men it is impossible, but with God, for with God all things are possible. Then Peter began to say to him, lo, we have left all and have followed thee. And Jesus answered and said, verily I say unto you, there is no man that has left his house or his brother or sisters or father or mother or wife or children. Or lands for my sake and the gospels. But he shall receive a hundredfold. Now in this time houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands. With persecutions and in the world to come eternal life. But many that are first shall be last. And the last shall be first. So pastor where are you going with this? I think there's two things that I truly believe we can see here. One, how many of us have had siblings that have said, I can't believe you're giving your life over to Christ. I can't believe you're leaving our denomination to, you, to go to that church. I can't believe, you mean, you open up the Bible? That's what they preach over there? Why would you go where they preach the Bible? You see, what I loved about Jesus, the great master, teacher, rabbi, savior, is that as he was teaching, he was always teaching of his father. And he was teaching of the kingdom of God. So I sat and I started pondering on, on some of these things. And I know in our world, we will have difficulties. But Jesus says, but overcome the world. 
So we see that he says, no matter what, number one, I want you to look at your family dynamic. And in your family dynamic and in your friendship dynamic, they will say to you, why are you following that Christ who is your Savior? And he said, but if you will leave them and follow after me, and even through persecution, you too will receive eternal life. Now, let me, not, let me be clear about something. I'm not talking about works-based here. I'm talking about taking up the cross of Christ and following him, understanding your role as a Christian. Are you following me this morning? Okay, so when we are tempted within the workplace, when we are tempted within our family, when we feel the pressures of our life coming on us and over us, then all of a sudden we start to covet our relationship with somebody else and pride starts to set in and therefore we lose our focus on who Jesus Christ truly is. So many people have, st- have only gone to churches, listen, They've only gone to churches because of Aunt Edith and her piana. Get rid of the stinking piana. Because if that's the only reason you're going there, then you need to get into the Bible. You need to get on your knees. You need to realize who Jesus Christ is and understand that everything that matters on this earth is only for the kingdom of God. That's it. Point number one. So here's what Jesus was saying. Listen. Take up your cross and follow me. Point number two, he was saying, I've got a question for you, young rich man. So I understand that, that you run and own, you know, they're in Akron, Ohio, Goodyear. I understand it used to be owned by you and, you know, you're the Goodyear family and you have all these riches and you have all these things. And so what I would like you to do is I'd like you to just go ahead and give it to all your employees. Just split it all up. Let them have the headquarters of Goodyear and just enjoy. Let them enjoy the riches. And you go ahead and you, you switch places with them. And the rich young man says to him, I am not giving up Goodyear. Do you understand? I am one of the wealthiest man, men in all of Akron. I am Mr. Goodyear. And what's he do? It says there... You see my interpretation. Are we following here? He then says, I- I'm not giving up my possessions, and he walks away. What was he doing? He was coveting, wasn't he? And so what we have a tendency to do, and he says this, take up my cross. And so they lift up the cross. And you know what I think about a cross? Do you understand how heavy a cross is? This Christian life is not easy. It is not easy. There's disappointment. It's discouragement. I mean, we're, we're let down. People, I, I mean, it's just awful. And, and this is another thing. We work with Christian people that say they're Christian people, but they sure don't act like Christian people. And the last time I checked, Christian means Christ-likeness. Or we act like Jesus. So when he says, here's the fruits of the Spirit, here's the Beatitudes, let's try to have a, a good attitude and, and let's practice some of these things. And so he's always telling his disciples and he's telling the Gentiles, listen, come after me and follow me. So they lift up this cross, which is a great burden, and he says, take up the cross and follow me. You know, I've never seen one guy walk over and go like this. Yeah, this cross is just so like... Yeah, this thing's light. I've never seen any. uh, Nobody I've ever seen carry a cross has been that light. 
But when you pick up the cross of Christ, you realize that you're forgetting Goodyear, you're forgetting all the riches that you have, you have... And when Jesus says, follow after me and I will make you fishers of men, what he was saying is, leave all of your possessions, disciples, and follow after me. Don't covet what you have. Don't covet your loved ones. Just follow after me. Oh, we can't do that. It's just too hard. You mean you're requiring me to be up and going by 9.30 in the morning and get to church? 9.30? But you don't understand. God, I get up every day at 5.30 and I need my beauty rest. So I have to sleep till 9.30. Well, then you've never picked up your cross. You haven't followed him. So be careful when you sing songs like, uh, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. Because you haven't sacrificed nothing. You see, Jesus wasn't always just preaching flowering messages that just smelt good and looked good. No, what he was saying was, get busy about my father. Start following me. Quit coveting. Man, do you always have to have the best cars, the best bicycles, the best mopeds, the best motorcycles. Man, why is it always about you? It's never about anybody else. Why don't you get to a place where you feel uncomfortable? Because you see, my son Jesus Christ became so uncomfortable when he went up that Via Della Rosa and he bore the sins of this world and he went to Golgotha, the place of the skull, and he died for you and for me so that we could enjoy the fringe benefits of the kingdom of God. And we want to sit back and rely on somebody else to do it. Stop it. Just stop it, church. Start getting serious about God. This is His church. This is His ministry. And guess what? God owns the world. So no matter what, He's in full control. Listen, I am a pastor who is out in the community with lost people. This past week, I heard the F word like I heard people saying, Hello, good morning, have a nice day. They talk bad, they look bad, they act bad, and they are bad. They're mean people. But we have to stop sometimes and realize who we are in Christ. And when we covet, no, this is all about me and this is what I'm going to do today. I am tired of waiting for them. I remember one time, and I still feel guilty about this. My dad asked me to be somewhere. I was a teenager. And he said, I want you to clean this apartment. See, I've been cleaning since I was 16. And uh, so he said, clean this apartment, Todd. So I went there to clean it. They decided to start two hours early when I got there. I got up early, and it was 8 o'clock in the morning. And they all got there like at 6 o'clock, started cleaning. And, and it was for my grandparents. And it was just something that I wanted to do. And I took it very personally. And so I got so mad. You know what I did? I said, that's it. I walked in there, and he goes, it's about time you got here. I go, well, you didn't tell me to be here at 6 a.m. in the morning. You said we're going to be starting around 7, 8 o'clock. I grabbed those supplies that I went to the office and picked up. 
I walked in there. I was so mad. And in my sinfulness and in my nature, I took that bucket of supplies and I dumped them all over the office. Show you. Show my stupid immaturity is what it was. Surprised my dad didn't kill me. I'm here today to tell the story. Here's the story. No, my flesh got in the way. Because you see, it was all about me. Oh, was Todd humiliated? Was he humbled? Big deal. Get your stuff and get to work. Because it's not about you. It's about your grandparents. But see, it's our pride. We covered our pride. We covered our dignity. Let me ask you something. If I asked all of you right now, will you take up the cross of Christ and follow him? Many of you would say, yes. Many of you have already started to hesitate in your mind. I'm going to say, okay, first step of taking up the cross of Christ is one, come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Listen, he went to a cross. He died for you. Will you believe on his son? Come to know him. Get baptized. But the third great step is I want you to all open up your wallet. When the, t- when the bucket comes through, we're just going to dump every penny you have. Oh, hold on a minute. Hold, hold, time out. I know how some of you men and women are. Because you will covet that $50 bill. Because you know what you do with it? Here's that secret compartment. My wife will never find it. Here's my secret compartment. My husband will never find it. The mattress is full of $100 bills because you ladies are hoarding it. And uh, we stick stuff in there because that becomes our focus. But let me ask you something. We will hold on to the last dollar. Some of you say, you know, one of the things that I, I don't have my wallet on me, but... One of the things that, uh, what a great illustration, right? Let's all open up our wallet. Oh, shucks, I don't have my wallet. But um, one, of, one of the things is, my wife knows how I am. I do hoard my money. Okay, I'm transparent. I'm confessing my sins before all of you. We want to hold on to those little dollar bills that you get, or fives, or twenties for some of you. You know, I can only go up to twenties. You get to go up to hundreds. But anyhow, you hold on to those fifties and hundreds. And the church is suffering. The kingdom of heaven is suffering. Because we're coveting. Oh God, have mercy on us. Oh, I want to follow him. When we get to heaven. And in the bookkeeping record of heaven. Have we given of our talent? Have we given of our time? Have we given... Of our tithe. Oh no. See, I love it. It, it. My wife and I, we laugh all the time about giving because we love to give to God. God loves a cheerful giver. I don't want him to hate me, so I have to always say, I love giving, right? And uh, there was a time in my life that I think he was disappointed in me because I'm like, I can't get rid of this $5 because all I made was $50. All right. <sighs> I mean, it was like a, a crane came in and I had, but you know what? It was something that I learned, it was obedience. Okay, so we can do that, but now God loves a cheerful giver, so we go over and above. 
And we give and we take care because you know why? For some, we love heat in the building. For others, we love air conditioning in the building. For others, we love the amenities of, of enjoying life. But you know what? There's not one dollar that ever has gone into this building that I thought, oh, you know what? This better be going to the, to the Piana up on the platform. No, I give it and it's God's. It was his to begin with. And it's become so much fun. Do you know what? You could be one of the wealthiest Christians if you'll just take up your cross and follow him. Why is it that Jesus talked about money so much? Because here's what he was saying. He was saying, you're so discontented because you covet so much. So we're going to talk about money all the time. But I think it's sad that when we start to covet and we have to have what the neighbors have and we have to have what other people have. Let's just be happy with what God has provided us. One man said to me, he said, uh, Pastor Todd, you know, you've had your church for this is through through the year, 11 years. And I go, yeah, doesn't it ever bother you that you don't have a band? No, doesn't it ever bother you that? I mean, there's like no instruments and. You know, that's kind of weird and strange that your church don't have like a piano up on the platform and an organ and a guitar and a drum and a bongo and a congo and here we long go and songo and every other rongo. You know what? Here's what I look at. Was that worship good this morning? Hallelujah. Did we step back and go, why did that that lead electric guitar player? Something happened with him today. He looks like he was out way too long last night playing in that bar. I had one pastor tell me, he goes, yeah, we we hire guys out, so they play different venues and all that kind of stuff. I go, really? Yeah. He goes, sometimes it's rough because on a Sunday morning, yeah, when they come in and they play up on the stage, it gets to be a little bit rough for some of them. I looked at him, I go, wait a minute. Jesus said, take up the cross. I don't understand. You know, he says either you're hot or cold or you're lukewarm. Because if you're lukewarm, I'll spew you out of my mouth. So what is it? So why is it that we put all these things on? I love this little church. To me, this is a mega church. I'm serious. I've been in some small churches that are about this section right here. So if I start looking at all the other things pastors have, then I start to lose sight of the vision that God gave me for new hope. You see, we have to be careful how we compare ourselves among ourselves because the Bible says we're not wise. Coveting, coveting, coveting. We've got to be very, very careful because the Bible says, for where your treasure is, there where your heart be also. Where is your treasure, church? Where are you at? Are you content with what you have? Are you content with how God has provided for you? Hebrews 13.5 says, Let your conversation be without covetousness. And be content with such things as you have. For he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Lord, I, I don't know how I'm going to get this next meal. I'm not going to covet my neighbor's steak over there. All I want you to do is provide for me. I know God will provide for you. I believe in a God that still answers prayer. Do you believe in a God that still answers prayer? Amen. Amen. Maybe today this message was a little bit convicting for some of you. 
Maybe it was difficult for you to hear this, maybe because you've been going through that same journey in your own life. But listen, church, if Jesus thought it was important to say, stop your coveting, then we need to continue to keep talking about it because we lose our perspective. Very, very quick. For some of you, you'll get home today and you will already forgotten what I preached about. For some of you, it will be silent to your heart and there will be a life change. Because that's what Jesus does. So how do we fight coveting from taking over our lives? One, ask God to forgive you. Listen to this. I love this story and I have to share it with you today. When archaeologists were unearthing the ancient city of Pompeii, where 20,000 died during the eruption of a volcano nearby, they uncovered the bodies of many of the dead. Among them, they found the well-preserved bodies of people who were caught totally off guard by the explosion of this powerful volcano. People were found sitting at their dinner tables, their food still on their plates. Others were found in their beds sleeping. One woman, however, stands out from among all of the victims of Pompeii. When the scientists uncovered her body, they found clutched in her hands tens of thousands of dollars worth of precious stones. It seems that as death rained down from the mountain above, she risked her life trying to save a couple of handfuls of wealth. Now, 2,000 years later, those things she tried so vainly to hold on to are the property. Of another. Isn't that amazing? It is with covetous person in our day. In the end, those things we deem so valuable will be absolutely worthless. Don't allow a covetous spirit to dominate your life. To realize things won't satisfy. Proverbs 23 says this. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. Cast only a glance at riches and then they are gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. That's an amazing proverb, isn't it? Ecclesiastes 5 says whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. I think it's amazing. The end of the day is coming and you will have to give them up just like your grandparents did, the parents before them, the parents before them, the parents before them. And so we realize we last we need to be thankful. And first Timothy says this, but godliness and contentment is great gain for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. You see, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Enjoy the life God has given you. Start desiring right things. Philippians 3 says, what is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. When this life is over, will you stand at the gates? And as as you enter into the promised land, as you enter into the kingdom of heaven, will he say, well done, 
good and faithful servant. In closing, there's nothing wrong with having things. But it's when you are dependent on things and the want of more things that it becomes sin. Listen to what Jesus said. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. When I was a young man, I remember who was with Quail, the president. Was it Bush, Bush Quail? And it was Reagan and Bush, correct? Then Bush Quail and Clinton and so on and so forth. Quail came to Ravenna, Ohio. And I'll never forget, I opened up the record courier, and in that article it said, We would like to welcome the vice president to Ravenna, Ohio. And when he comes into town, we will be uh, meeting at the mansion, the Stonehenge Mansion, out on at Newton Falls Road. And the tickets to be next to Quill were $1,500 and then $1,000 per person. We ask that everyone, it's a black tie affair. We want you to dress up in a tux. We want you to wear the fanciest nice gown that you have. So, you know, as time went on, I started asking different people, do you know what happened with that dinner? And they said, oh, the dinner was sold out. And the dinner was sold out and the, the dinner was special. It was memorable. They had quail. Oh, just kidding. Um, they had whatever it was they were eating. And I got to tell you this. My mind went immediately to Jesus Christ. And I asked myself this question. If people knew that Jesus was coming back tomorrow, and there was going to be a black tie affair, how many would get off their wallets? How many would go buy their clothing? How many would help and give and prepare to be in the presence of Jesus? It really brought things into perspective for me. Why is it we'll pay big bucks to go see somebody when today we've experienced Jesus in in his glory in this sanctuary for free? And some can't get out of bed to be here because we covet our sleep. I don't want God to come back. And when he raptures his children home, I certainly don't want to be sleeping. I certainly don't want to be at that volleyball game or that baseball game or the golf outing. I want to be basking in his presence so he'll look at me. And instead of just saying, well done, thou good and faithful servant, he'll say, rise up, Todd. I know who you are. I know your relationship that you have with me. Because you've gone to the ends 
of all uncomfortableness to be in my presence. So church, I ask you today, if the old song says, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather have riches. I'd rather have Jesus than riches untold. How many of you would say today, I'd rather have Jesus? How many would say that today? I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords. Oh God, bring us back to a place where we have a relationship with Him. Bring us to our knees. A place where only we can experience God for who He is. And then cry out to God and say, God, forgive me, for I have coveted. No wonder I've been discontent. No wonder I have, I have felt this. I've been being, being torn to. Man, listen, some of you can't even get through a church service without being off Facebook. You have to have your phone. We're so addicted and we covet such ridiculous. We can't give God one hour of the word because we're coveting material things. God, have mercy on us. For he started, have no other graven images. What are you bowing down to today? Would you bow your knee to Almighty God? If you don't know Him, would you come to Him today? Let's all stand as we pray. Father, we love You and we just praise Your holy name. Lord, help us to be content. Help us to realize that our desire should be You, not anything else. Father, this message isn't pointed to one, two, Lord, it's pointed to all of us. You spoke to all the disciples. You spoke to the Jews as well as to the Gentiles, and you're speaking to us today. God, forgive us for for coveting. God, forgive me for coveting. God, forgive me for for bowing down and and putting other things in priority other than my time with you and my, my study time. And God, have mercy and please forgive me. God, our pride gets in our way. Our status gets in our way. The material gains of this world gets in our way. And then we forget who you are. Lord, we don't even realize that as, as you said to Job, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We don't even realize that you're the one who gives us what we have. Because we're too busy focusing on the earthly, temporary joys of this life. Instead of the eternal joys of the kingdom of heaven. Oh God, if there's somebody here today that does not know you, may they walk this aisle and rededicate their life. May they confess their sins before you. May they put aside, Lord, what they've seen, what they've heard, what they've touched, what they've, Lord, the things that they've coveted. Lord, may we just lay it at the altar, walk away fresh and new. Lord, thank you for your word. And today, I'm taking up your cross, and I'm following you. In your holy name we pray. Thank you, Lord, for your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.